What's it like to run a Jewish organization? Should Canadian Jews be concerned about Jewish organizations in Israel? What are some of the challenges facing the Canadian Jewish community today? We're going to discuss these questions and more on this edition of the Corecast. I am Richard Rapkin, the Managing Director of COR, and today my guest is Rabbi Dan Rand, the Executive Director of Ezra Mitzion Canada, and also a good friend. Welcome, Rabbi Rand. Welcome, and thank you, Richard, for uh, having me here today. Okay, great. So, so let's get started, and I would love to understand a little bit about you and your story and where you came from, so maybe you can walk us through that, you know, where were you born, where did you go to school, how did you make your way? Well, I don't think you're interested in knowing about my height, my high school basketball career, but how did I get involved in... I heard it was quite prodigious. It was pretty amazing. Right. We definitely won provincials in Winnipeg, but I'm not sure that's saying all that much for Manitoba. But, uh, but how did I get involved and where did my passion come from for Jewish communal life? I think that's where you're aiming at. Yeah, I mean, tell us. Uh, Winnipeg's a good start, obviously, if we're talking about so issues of concern to Canadians. Yeah. yeah, well, even before that, I would say that I grew up in a house where my father was a Holocaust survivor. He was a very young survivor. He was only 10 to 14 years old during the uh, during the Holocaust. And he uh, ran, and he was in bunkers, and from safe house to safe house in Slovakia. And growing up, uh, I was born uh, in the mid-60s, and uh, growing up in the 1970s, uh, he w- it was, I was very aware of that all the time. And I s- we spent some time in the United States. Not a lot of my friends had parents who were in the Holocaust. So I always felt different and kind of proud. Hey, my dad is um, he's special, and he went through something very uniquely Jewish. And obviously painful, but he also uh, decided to go into Jewish education because of that. And he was passionate about Jewish education. He was passionate about the Jewish people, and that rubbed off on me a lot. And uh, I always felt like, hey, you know what? Um, that's something I want to get involved with. I think it was uh, unconscious when I was younger, and then as I got older, it became more and more important to me. When you say he was involved in Jewish education, what exactly? So my father was actually a Jewish educator. He was uh, the uh, director of the Board of Jewish Education in uh, Toledo, Ohio. Um, Toledo Mudhens, Rich, uh, if, you, if you remember those. Don't. Sorry. Mash. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, a little before my time. A little before Sorry. your time, okay. So he was there, and then again in Winnipeg later, and he started the Heschel School here in Toronto. And uh, so he was uh, he was a Jewish communal leader. So you really had it in your blood. So I had it in my blood, yes. So I, 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 I heard it around the, the Shabbos table, around the dinner table, and we had uh, all sorts of different people that uh, we interacted with in the community. So yes, I, I definitely grew up with that. That's fantastic. Uh, so you went, I guess, high school, university. At, at what point, kind of, maybe draw us a little bit of a right, picture so when you make that decision that I want to be involved in Jewish life? So good question. So in high school, I had some amazing teachers uh, in my Jewish high school in Winnipeg, Joseph Wolinsky Collegiate. Here's a shout out to anybody from Winnipeg, Joseph Wolinsky Collegiate. Uh, you know what that is. Uh, I'm sure Joseph Wilinski is shepping Nachos right now. <laughs> Mr. Wilinski, uh, yeah, yes, definitely was the benefactor for many, many different um, uh, graduates from, from Winnipeg. I have a few good friends, actually, that graduated from, from oh, yeah? Wilinski. No, no so joke, yeah. Uh, 
there were some great teachers there. And uh, Rabbi Grisman, for example, who's here in our city, was one of my rabbeim in oh, wow. grade uh, 10, turned me on to learning Talmud. Uh, and others that uh, that were just excited uh, me personally about Jewish education. So there you go. I mean, I was uh, I was a beneficiary of uh, of a wonderful Jewish education, and it did its magic on me. And I wanted to. I was inspired, and I wanted to learn more and then give back. So I think that that was. And of course, as you say, it was in my blood. My father was involved in Jewish education. Um, maybe I took li- a little bit more of a traditional approach than him, but the uh, the energy was the same. So uh, I went to Israel after high school. I learned for a number number of years, and after uh, I was married in Montreal, um, uh, some time later I went back to Israel with my wife to learn for another three to four years, and I really wanted to get involved. So that was my entree uh, into Jewish communal life was being a uh, Rebbe or teacher in the Jewish education world. And was that your first thought, that you wanted to be a teacher in a Jewish school? I did, yeah. I I wanted to convey uh, beauty of Judaism. I wanted to convey the ideas of Judaism uh, to students that didn't know uh, as much uh, and just pass that on. I wanted to be part of that. That's where my passion was. So, was there a moment when, I guess it was after you said you were in Montreal and you went back to, to learn some more in Israel, was there a moment where you said, okay, you know, I'm going to do this, I either need to get, you know, my smicha or or what have you, or was it more organic than that? Well, I mean, at a certain point, uh, we were in Israel, I think I was 27 years old, I was still learning in yeshiva, and I said to my wife, it's time, I need to uh, find a physician. And I started interviewing, and um, I was learning with a person from Indianapolis. That's in Indiana. Let's go Hoosiers. Another big town yeah. next to Toledo. Right. It's up there. Uh, and uh, it was a wonderful town, and uh, was brought in to be a, a teacher in the Jewish uh, day school, to get involved in NCSY to teach adults. I was surrounded by so many amazing educational opportunities. I felt it, I was, it was wonderful. It was, uh, it was really, really a great time. We spent three years there, and I uh, so I cut my teeth, so to speak, in, in the field of Jewish education, and then came to Toronto. That's where my parents were, and my brother. So we said, hey, we're Canadian. We need some more intensive schooling for the kids. Let's go back to Toronto. And at the time, I started off at Chat uh, as a again a high school rebbe teaching full time. Got involved there for three years, and I wanted to branch out. Jewish education was great in the school, but I also wanted to be involved uh, in uh, more outreach. Uh, so uh, I met Rabbi Hoch, uh, and he invited me to come on board at Asia Torah. So that launched my uh, career in the informal Jewish education space that took, uh, and that and that morphed slowly and over time uh, into uh, administrative and fundraising positions which you may ask what's the connection between that and Jewish education go ahead and ask that rich <coughs> what is the connection <laughs> no please yeah so it's a good question and the answer is that uh, it I think that uh, it becomes apparent that when you raise money for an institution, especially an educational institution, you are enabling 
education to happen. So it's great to teach uh, people, but to enable 20 teachers or 100 teachers to teach people is a whole other level of impact. And I wanted to get involved in, uh, in that process, in helping Jewish organizations grow and become uh, better and uh, give, get, grant them the resources uh, to be able to, to, uh, to do their mission. Now, what's the difference between a teacher at heart who feels like he's uh, or she is not complete unless they're in the classroom to somebody who, such as yourself, that you transition to fundraising for a Jewish organization and enabling others? So it's actually a lot more closely linked than you realize because what is fundraising? Fundraising, really good fundraising, is really teaching. It's really connecting to people and uh, and helping them appreciate the importance of the cause that you're behind. So it really is an educational process. Of course, you're connecting to them personally, but you have to do that in the classroom also. You know, you can't just, uh, uh, it's not about just depositing uh, information into somebody else's brain. You have to create a rapport in the classroom. Well, it's the same thing in fundraising. If you, if you want to get anywhere in fundraising, you need to create a rapport with the people that you're dealing with and uh, have that personal connection. And at the same time, it's in the context of, hey, you know, here's something really important. Why don't you become a part of it? So in that sense, it was really quite a seamless transition. It's so interesting, you know, I spoke to, on the core cast, Rabbi Uziel, Rabbi Yosef Uziel, who's a rabbi at Petach Tikva, and he gave a beautiful analogy that one of his rabbim gave to him. He said that it's like catching a cold, right? What does that mean? So in order to give somebody the cold, you need to have it yourself, and you need to be close to the person. Mm. So that's kind of what you're saying. That you need to obviously have a relationship with them, and you need to have it yourself, have the passion for whether it's Jewish education or the Jewish community. Right, right. So I shouldn't sneeze into my sleeve. I should. That's, I was going to talk to you about that when the mics are off. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so then maybe tell us a little bit about your transition and your current organization that you're working with, okay. Ezra Mitzion. What is it? I mean, I have a little bit of a feeling as to what it does, but I think that there's probably that only scratches the surface. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about it. Okay, so uh, you know, over time I spent about 20 years involved in different Jewish educational organizations, and I decided to uh, help the Jewish people in a different way, which would which is still uh, uh, critically important. Uh, so I uh, connected to a beautiful organization called Ezra Mitzion. And Ezra Mitzion is based in Israel, started in Israel in the uh, 1979. It's a medical support organization. So it started off as a kitchen industry, as a kitchen-based uh, organization, literally, with Kolel uh, 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 students, cooking in their kitchens for people in hospitals that were watching their loved ones and didn't have time to go home and cook for their kids. They provided the meals. And then it has burgeoned from there. It has blossomed in the last uh, 40 years to become Israel's largest medical support organization with about 15 different divisions today. So when I say a division, each one is, a, uh, is, is an institution in and of itself. We have an entire division dedicated to uh, supporting mental health 
throughout Israel, uh, providing people with uh, the, the resources to be able to access uh, government funding and government resources uh, to help them um, create plans for their loved ones at home or wherever it may be. Um, we have an entire division for children, uh, whether it be illness or whether it be learning disability uh, or children with uh, special needs. We have an uh, entire division for geriatrics, for Holocaust survivors. Uh, we're now building centers that support families uh, that are experiencing the difficulty of, of caring for a loved one with dementia. So we have support groups for that. We have a, uh, we have, we call it here a Ronald McDonald House in Israel. Uh, it would be a uh, cancer, cancer respite center, but it's the same idea because all of the cancer treatments take place in the Tel Aviv area. People will come in and stay in this place for weeks at a time while their uh, loved one is going through treatment. And then we have therapies in the center. We have a blood bank. We have a, um, a medical equipment loan center. So I could go on and on. As you can see, we are uh, a huge organization uh, that are re is reaching around 700,000 people in Israel on an annual basis. Amazing. It sounds like a beautiful organization. Some of those tasks um, or roles seem like they are quasi-government in nature. Is that a question that you sometimes get? Why doesn't the Israeli government take care of some of these things? Right. So in Israel, we have there's a lot of uh, uh, partnerships between the government and the nonprofit sector, and they rely on nonprofits to provide the services, and they will provide the funding. So there is a significant amount of funding for Ezra Mitzion. About 70% of our activities are funded through government, uh, through the government um, budget but we do provide the services. I see. The Israeli government basically has recognized the generosity and the chesed of the Jewish people, Correct. and they, they leverage it. They don't try exactly. to stifle it. That's right. That's right. exactly it. There's, there's partnerships. That's beautiful. Yeah. Now, when I hear Ezra Mintzion, I think bone marrow registry. Uh, am I mistaken in that? Correct me if I'm wrong. So, good question. Um, Yes, so we have a bone marrow registry, one of our divisions. It started 20 years ago. Um, and uh, th the reason why you hear about that is because when we tell the story about Ezra Mitzion in Israel, people are like, that's wonderful, but how does that affect me here in Canada? Well, that's why we tell the story uh, about the bone marrow registry, because that has an impact on every Jew in the world, including Canada, of course. Uh, a bone marrow registry is essentially a, um, a library of DNA profiles. Uh, the way we get these profiles is we swab people and they enter the registry. We uh, record their, their DNA profile and then we file it away. Um, we are able to uh, admit about 55,000 people a year into the registry. We have a relationship with the Israeli army. Uh, the army has recognized the resource of Azer Mitzion. Here's another example of two organizations that are leveraging each other's strengths. So we walk into the induction centers, we set up an Ezra Mitzion booth, and we ask the soldiers, hey, would you join our bone marrow registry? And about 95% of them do. So we get about 52,000 soldiers swabbing and volunteering to join this registry, knowing 
that hey, they could be called uh, at any time to save a life. And or they might be the ones who might be saved. They may be saved, but uh, yeah. But, but obviously when they're swabbing, their intention is to be a donor. Nobody wants to be on the other side. Right. Um, so, uh, so we have this amazing registry that is being powered uh, by the soldiers of the Israeli army, and the result is that in the 20 years that we've been in existence, we have close to a million people in the registry, and we're saving about 400 lives, Jewish lives, around the world in over 45 countries on an annual basis. That's amazing. Now, when you think that every person is uh, part of a family, and what that means to the family system, and part of the community, so the impact ripples out to the thousands of people in the world. And when you compare that to 20 years ago, when the Jewish people did not have a dedicated registry, and they had to rely on just the general world registries, where they had an 8% match rate. And today, 20 years later, we have an 80% match rate. You can see the impact of what Ezra Mission has really accomplished. And this is something that's happening in our backyard, here in Toronto, here in Montreal, throughout Canada. Uh, there have been about 60 people who have been saved through the Ezra Mission uh, donor registry, uh, quietly. Uh, we don't know about it. It's not publicized in the community. And and that's why we have a, a, a Canadian office, because we feel this is really a, a national treasure, so to speak, of the Jewish people. It's something that uh, everybody, God forbid, uh, obviously, uh, but everybody uh, could access if they needed it to. And, uh, and therefore, it's really, it's really a Jewish people project. Right. So, uh, yeah. That's fantastic. I just wonder, are, do you know, are there other nationalities that have similar projects? Like, is there the Uzbekistani um, registry or what have you? Or is there something unique to the, to the kindness and the, the brotherhood of the Jewish people? So I like to say uh, that we know uh, Jews are point zero zero one percent one percent, and when you round us out, we right. are margin zero. margin no margin <laughs> of error in the in the Chinese census. Exactly. You know that one? Yeah. We are a, a statistic error essentially, and yet we have built the fourth largest bone marrow registry in the world. Uh, so think about that. To me, it just is a testament to the amazing kindness, the amazing chesed, the value of human life that we have. It's such a privilege that we have, uh, that I'm involved in this project, that we have such a, uh, uh, that we have such a project available for people to, um, to access if needed. Uh, I don't know if other ethnic groups have done it. Uh, I doubt it. I think it's probably done on a national level. You have an American registry or a Canadian registry. I'm not sure there's been another ethnic registry. But I will mention to you, interesting, because we do get a lot of Druze in the Israeli army, and they also uh, do uh, join the Ezra registry. So there is an element of our registry which is Israeli, not just Jewish, and therefore we have some non-Jewish ethnicities that are also well represented in the registry. That's amazing. My apologies, by the way, to the Uzbeki community. I don't know if I offended them. If they're listening to the Corecast right now, my apologies. Um, what, what about the connection between Canada and Israel? Obviously, I think it sounds like your organization is really at kind of an epicenter of that. 
Um, do you feel like there is a close connection? Are people some sometimes wondering whether this is something that they either need to get behind because this is an Israel problem, not a Canadian problem, or vice versa? Is it sometimes where there is an added element that energizes people to participate because this is something that's Israel and it's close to home? What's that dynamic like? Right. So all of the above, you know, people are all different. But I'll say in a general sense that when it comes to charity, I think that naturally people um, are, mag- are, are um, attracted to local charities, and they should be, because charity begins at home. But when I explain to them that this is a bone marrow registry, and that, every, that it's really not um, an Israel um, project, but it's a global project that is delivered in every locale in the world, and in that sense, it is a local program. Uh, people get it, and they are generous, and they want to support it, and they care about it. And it may not always be the top priority, but it's something that I have seen almost unanimous uh, feelings for. And it's um, you know the, the the outreach that I've done this year has uh, has had a great response. And uh, we look forward to deepening our connection in the Toronto community and beyond, the Montreal and other uh, large centers in uh, uh, Canada, and to develop the awareness of Ezra Mitzion and the importance of what we do. Amazing. That's a nice segue, because um, you mentioned really Canada, and I think that it might be a nice opportunity for me to pick your brain, a real yeah. expert in the in the Canadian Jewish landscape. You know, you've been a teacher, you've been involved in, in shuls, in, in Jewish organizations. Maybe we can look from 10,000 feet for a second. What issues do you think are, are confronting Canadian Jewry and beyond? What are some of the primary challenges you think that we're facing right now? And potentially, what do you think are some of the um, some solutions? That might be a little bit grandiose, but but what do you think? What are the big challenges that we're facing right now as a community? So I know that a lot of people might say, Rich, at this point, anti-Semitism, and obviously I agree that uh, anti-Semitism is rearing its ugly head. We are seeing uh, much more of that. I heard uh, somewhere. Uh, that uh, uh, reported in the 1990s, the, uh, all the Jewish communal groups were saying, what do we need these groups that are fighting anti-Semitism for? It's over, it's finished, it's a thing of the past. And here we are in 2019, and it's not a thing of the past. Yes, anti-Semitism is obviously on the list, but I actually think there's something a lot uh, deeper and a much greater threat to the Jewish community, and that is Jewish education. I come back to where I always, my roots are, and I feel that when Jews don't have knowledge about their heritage, of the treasure of what it means to be Jewish, the privilege of what it means to be Jewish, the beauty and the importance of what it means to be Jewish, then that's the biggest threat to our community. I, um, and it's on so many levels, in terms of raising Jewish families, in certain terms of Jewish demographics, it's in terms of Jewish commitment. Um, ultimately, every charity will suffer if Jews are not committed to being Jewish. And so I think that really is the greatest threat, and we need to... So let's, di- let, yeah, so let's dig down on that a little bit. W- why is that happening? What is the problem um, or the problems as to why Jewish education, in your opinion, is on the downswing or suffering to some degree? 
Well, I think it's a question, A, of expense, that it is uh, definitely a serious commitment, and, um, you know, for people that see it as a luxury, then it's going to be really low on their totem pole of priorities. So uh, that's number one. Number two is, uh, this is something that is ubiquitous through, for Jews throughout history, living in foreign lands, and we're surrounded by foreign cultures, and we absorb uh, the uh, ethos and the mores of our culture, and Judaism, uh, you know, can tend to become smaller in importance because of that. So we're, we are really fighting against our host culture to a large extent. So it requires a proactive effort, uh, and not everybody's up for that battle. So I, you know, I think that um, it, it's a, it's uh, something that needs to be inculcated. Uh, in every institution, uh, as a unanimous, unanimous voice, I think Toronto is an amazing community that way. The UJA uh, is is heavily committed to Jewish education, but we need more of it. We just absolutely need more of it. I think uh, I teach a chat, a couple classes. It's one of the things that I do. Um, uh, tuitions have been cut, and as a result, you see that more and more students are coming and joining uh, high school. So you see, it is a financial issue to a large extent, but we got to bring our communal minds together, and uh, we're all working together and really make that a priority. Right. I think economists usually say that as much as people people are ideologically driven, we're also financially driven. And so I guess what you're saying is in your experience, you've seen when the cost of tuition came down, the enrollment did go up. Yeah. It's the facts bear it out. I think... Um, in the Orthodox sector, the commitment level may be a little bit higher uh, in terms of you know, people are willing to uh, go into debt even to send their kids to a Jewish school, but even then there's a breaking point. Um, so I think we've got to figure out how to lower the cost of Jewish ed education. We've got to keep the quality up. It's a tough order, but I think that is absolutely necessary. I think we are living in a blessed country. Canada has been really great to the Jewish community. Uh, Toronto is an incredibly strong community. Uh, but um, we can't rest on our laurels. And I think that Jewish education is the key for future strength of this community. And if there was, you know, a magic wand, so to speak, and the people in uh, the Jewish leadership were to give that magic wand to you and say, okay, aside from Jewish education, you know, what would another one or two priorities focus be? What would you do with your magic wand? Wow, I've got a magic wand. Okay, let's think. I would say create opportunities for uh, Jewish youth to get involved in the community, make it easier for them so that they can get a sense of taking responsibility, um, create opportunities for people to get involved, take responsibility. I think that might be a way for people to also feel a commitment towards the community. We're talking about how to disperse uh, funds, for example. I would invest in, 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 in the youth, not just in schooling, but also in experience, um, Jewish experience, um, what about things like, in your experience, Israel or summer camp? Uh, have you seen those as being uh, animating issues that, that you know can get people excited, or not necessarily? People need to to you know make those decisions independently. Right. So those things are critically important. Uh, nothing replaces uh, 
day school because that is every day. Um, but I think those are absolutely important, but not sufficient. So you need the day school system strong. You need Jewish education. That's the meat and potatoes. Camps, experiences, trips to Israel, um, other projects that students can get involved in. So important and absolutely important. But uh, as I say, I, I'm really a traditionalist yeah. in this way. Think that uh, strengthening the backbone of the community and the education sector. This was our, your opportunity, by the way, to say that people should Jewish people should be eating kosher food. This was your opportunity to bring it all back to to the CUR. Yeah, um, but that's your job. That's right? my job. That's true. Okay. But yeah, no, I mean, I, ironically, I um, I remember there was an Israeli soldier who was here in town, and he was doing uh, an event with CUR, and he said that in his experience, the cities which have the most well-developed either kosher food options, restaurants, and what have you, are the usually the ones that are most pro-Israel, and vice versa, when he goes to a city, even though if it has a lot of Jews, he pointed out San Francisco, yeah. um, he went and he did not have anything to eat from a kosher perspective, and even though he had a lot of Jews, they weren't supportive of Israel and Jewish causes. So I think that in some ways you can also see a correlation between people who are dedicated to keeping kosher and dedicated to Jewish causes and beyond. Well, while we're on that topic, so the second thing that I would definitely invest in, okay, is more Jewish restaurants, variety thereof, all sorts of steak and other hamburger joints would be awesome. So steakhouses are going to make more <laughs> Jewish people. That's what absolutely, you're absolutely. Okay, well, you okay. could serve in Hebrew, and then you know, uh -huh, okay, get it all. But together. I think that uh, yeah, no. Listen, uh, the more Jewish life there is, and food is uh, is comes in maybe first, maybe second. I'm not sure. Jewish education is way up there. Uh, food is so important, absolutely. And what you guys uh, are doing here. And COR is, is critical, and it's a unifier for the whole community. And uh, I think people just uh, rely on it without even uh, realizing uh, that it's not something to be taken for granted because you're providing such an amazing service. Um, and actually, now that you mention it, it is, uh, it is something that does animate the community 100%. So good job, Rich. Well, you know, I'm, I'm bringing it back. To that's you. right, and we can, we have to. You know, you always want to leave on a high note, so um, that was really fantastic. I I didn't ask for that COR commercial, but thank you very much, and thank you for the really tremendous work that you're doing on behalf of the Jewish community with Ezra Mitzion and with whatever else you do, Rabbi Dan Rand, the executive director of Ezra Mitzion. Thank you for coming on the Corecast.